I put the over Ichabod's eyes. Is that comfortable? I ask. It's a little tight, he replies, but I don't mind if this gives us a new game to play. I run my fingers through his hair. Are you ready? I say close to his ear. Yes. Teach me. Luckily, I'm a fast learner. (laughs) You know what's horrible? That's exactly how he would say it. (laughs) I have watched this show too many times. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Bim. <laughs> How are you? Uh, I am surviving. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like that great uh, reaction meme from um, Broad City where somebody asks Ilana how she is and she says, how am I? And she puts quotes around am. Yes. (laughs) That's how I feel. Whenever I ask people, I can just see them looking at the phone like, what? How am I? (laughs) We're all in a new reality is is how I am. Um, And I'm coping. Yeah, new reality is it. Um, You know, for me, it's not not too new because I am... uh, I'm an introverted person with depression, so I'm used to being in my house sometimes for two to three weeks at a time, and it's it's okay. I can amuse myself. I'm also a middle child, so I'm used to like not having enough attention or what I think is enough attention. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm kind of okay with that. But I have already been inside my apartment. I I started self isolating before. Uh, everybody else in America did because I was sick already before like the um, epidemic epidemic started here. So I've done my two weeks. Uh, it's going into my third week now, and I am, um, you know, I'm ready to go outside. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I would like yeah. to um, sit at a restaurant and with my friends and be silly together. Um, so I'm, I'm ready to move on, but I, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to do what's the best thing for myself and for the people around me. I'm going to stay at home, but I sure do miss restaurant life right now. I fully, I fully understand. And I think, yeah, like people who work from home, people who have depression, all that stuff. I'm like, for sure. But there is something different about the choice being taken away. Right. <laughs> like, like, you know, you could technically go for a walk. You could do this, that, and the other. You could meet friends and all that stuff. And I was kind of like, no, no, no. Working from home is not just the only thing that you can do. It is literally the only thing you can do. So it's like, there's something about taking away the choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, listen, um, we understand that it has been a very difficult uh, period for a number of our thirst buckets and we know this because you guys are all over twitter Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) detailing how thankfully we are able with our massive back catalog to help you through some of the worst of the isolation so we're very happy to be of service in this period of time yeah, I love uh, the people who are just finding us because, you know, so many of you have been recommending us and we really appreciate that. And so we're also getting all these people who are like, oh, my God, I just discovered you. I can't believe you did this episode and this person and this person on this person and all this kind of stuff. And so I love seeing um, the new people come on board and find find us. Um, really appreciate that. So thank you to all of our thirst buckets out there who are recommending us and sharing the wealth. We really appreciate you. We really do. And we have done um, 
a fine line, I think, in trying to amuse ourselves. Because here's the thing. We talk often about how the thirst well should never run dry. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of difficult if you're not out there feeding the well, which sounds truly disgusting. And I don't mean it to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but clearly I understand what you mean, right? Because <laughs> it's like right. thirsting is, you know, this performance of an unquenchable thirst, right? Because for most of us, we are never going to reach out to these celebrities and we're never going to have that fantasy come to life. But when you're right. horny, it's usually like, oh, there's somebody you can actually like, you know, rub on out there. Maybe or there's a possibility, <laughs> even if it's not somebody you love or even if it's like against your better judgment. There's somebody there's some little fuck boy, um, which is a gender neutral term <laughs> that you can. It truly, <laughs> truly is. <laughs> there's somebody usually that many of us can go to, um, even if it's just like a quick text exchange to get that attention and then you can move on. Um, right. But right now it's hard to be thirsty and think about what you cannot have when we're already in this right. position of what we cannot have, you know? Right. Right. I think that's so spot on, which is why I think a lot of people have taken to uh, nostalgic rewatches. Yes. Um, I've seen a lot of people down my Twitter timeline and they are just, you know, rewatching a classic uh, series or they are re-watching films from childhood or some of them are watching for the first time films that they have only seen gifts of or films that someone told them to watch five years ago and they're like yeah i'll get to it and now with nothing but time on their hands they're like all right i guess mm-hmm. um and there's been a lot of that and i've actually been really pleased to see people like oftentimes shows that i love people i can see them tweeting oh my god i just saw blah 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 and in my head i'm just like "Mm, told you (laughs) um i don't make bad recommendations guys that's all i do is good recommendations so it's always like thrilling on a personal level to watch that and of course i took my own advice and i began re-watching um a tv show from a couple of years ago it ended a few years ago um i'm i'm talking about bones Yes, one of um, my favorite uh, shows. <laughs> and Nicole, you know, people often ask us whenever they're interviewing us about the show, how did you two meet? Um, or how did you guys get to get the idea together? And Bones, I think, is one of the fundamental texts of our relationship because I think we were talking about it at some point online mm-hmm. because, you know, part of the reason is that we understood that we had similar thirst uh, profiles. Yes. <laughs> Um, in some regards, <laughs> we sound like fucking serial killers. <laughs> yes, their profiles matched, but <laughs> but but the truth is, our profiles did match. Um, and so we were talking about the ice coldness of Brennan and the super hot bloodedness of Booth, and how that really worked together, and how especially in the early seasons, the writing was so well done that it kind of showcased how different these two were so anyway i've gone back to bones and i am getting my life but the thing that we are talking about when it comes to bones is the elephant in the room the mammoth in the clearing Ooh, uh, <laughs> listen <laughs> listen i am talking of course about the unresolved sexual tension between Celie booth and temperance brennan which went on for literal seasons before it all became something else. But we're not just talking about Bones, are we, Nicole? No, we are going to talk about um, the definitive text for UST. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about the TV show Moonlighting, which we've talked about a little bit before, but we're going to do, you know, an actual deep dive, give the attention that it deserves in this episode. I appreciate I appreciate you, Nicole. I know that we have spoken about Moonlighting before, as you said. And I am excited to get into it in a big way. Yes, because I know this is one of your favorite, favorite TV shows of all time. Oh, my God. Yes. 
Uh, and then we're going to move into The Good Wife, which is one of my favorite Ooh. TV shows. Yes. Uh, it's so good. Um, it's so good. Then we're going to talk about Sleepy Hollow. Mm. Yes, and we're going to get into all of that. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) The good and the bad and the truly ugly of Sleepy Hollow. So ugly. And we all know that God doesn't like ugly. So imagine how angry God is with Fox right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm excited to get into all of these things. And we hope you are too. So let's get into it, Nicole. Let's go. Bim, why don't you tell us about Moonlighting since you are our resident expert and you can tell us why it is the definitive text when it comes to UST. All right. So, Nicole, picture the scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the late 80s. <laughs> I'm living in Lagos, Nigeria with my family. Mm-hmm. And then one evening, I hear the smooth tones of Mr. Al <laughs> I stop in my tracks. I turn around. I say, what the hell is that? What is this music of the gods? Some fly. Listen, I'll really put his foot into that theme tune. (laughs) And I was I was hooked from I was hooked directly from the theme tune. And then I started watching that and being completely pulled in by it. Um, So Moonlighting is a TV show that starred Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis. Back when Bruce Willis had hair (laughs) and back when Sybil Shepherd was one of the biggest stars in the world. Um, And it's about this detective agency called the Blue Moon Detective Agency. And they are two partners. Uh, Sybil plays Maddie Hayes and Bruce plays David Addison, a.k.a. Bay. And um, (laughs) it's basically about how Maddie has fallen a little bit on hard times. She used to be a model, which fair enough, in the 80s, that was really what white women look like. And um, she goes bankrupt because her accountant embezzles a whole bunch. So again, a TV show that was telling you of the shit to come in the financial markets. I just want to say what a legend, what an icon this show is. Um, Anyway, she takes over this failing business, um, this detective agency, and then she meets David. And he is the one who is essentially heading that up. Um, Mm -hmm. And they clash because they are so different in every way. Um, And of course, in the clash comes the tension. Right. Um, This is very much like an opposite attract kind of thing, right? Nailed it. Listen, Nicole, I'm telling you stuff you already know because you also are a fan of Moonlighting. Yes, yes. I I love this show when I was young. Um, Like you said, it was just you heard the music, you immediately turned to see what was going on on the the screen. And then you have (laughs) these two white people who were just like, clearly they needed to fuck. Like they just they just like to get together and they would not get together. Like to the point where even as a kid, so again, I can't stress enough. This was the late 80s, early 90s. I was watching this. So I was clearly a child <laughs> and I didn't really have a concept of what UST was. But I remember watching and kind of going, hmm, there's something about these two. <laughs> and it's only when you look back and you're like, oh, my God, they wanted to do it so bad. Right. It was very much um, like this playground situation that, you know, people always like, you know, you tell your mom or whoever, so this boy pushed me down and then they say, oh, well, that's just because he likes you, which is really fucked up. But, you know, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Moonlighting very much had that where they were constantly bickering. It was very early Hollywood. It was very golden age of Hollywood. Right. 
Um, yes. When you go back and look at it, you can see the influence of those old, you know, Catherine Hepburn movies and things like that, where people would just, in order to flirt, they would be mean to each other and very sharp and, and, yes. and you know, kind of witty, but it was still like, y'all clearly like each other. So why don't you just kiss? Yes. This is it. And I, what I really like about it, you've nailed that thing about the wittiness of it. Mm-hmm. There was so much sharp, like really smart writing. Um, and it was so clear to me, even as a kid, that David was clearly an idealized version of like the 1940s guy, like the modern update of these kind of tough talking like hard-boiled detectives, people who would take risks but would never, you know, they respected women and they were, they had hearts of gold and, you know, there was it was kind of like an update of those kind of like gumshoe kind of detectives. Um, and the thing I really loved about it is that the show never, it never felt to me like the writing on the show was talking down to anybody. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it, it basically said, listen, if you don't know what we're doing here, step up your game and come join us on our level. Yes. Um, and as a kid, I remember feeling so accomplished whenever I would get a joke or an obscure reference like oh my god i'm so smart i got it <laughs> um and he's part of the reason why i really really like bold dudes because oh, yes okay, yes okay. at an early age i realized that you know what that shit is sexy shout out to bruce and so until the day i die if i see a bold dude i have to like at least give him a second look like hey what's going on because of bruce willis this is the power guys of thirst it changes <laughs> your whole thirst palette but the thing that I really liked was that despite like the idea of whatever rules that they had like drawn around their relationship, they still flirted so heavily. Yes. And I remember like being in the grocery store and seeing the tabloids that tried to say that Bruce Willis and uh, Sybil Shepherd were actually having an affair in real life. Things like that, because the tension was so good between yes. them. I, it yeah. was ugh. Just unlike anything I'd ever seen or even really seen since. Like it's it's one of those rare, it felt like once in a generation kind of like, oh my God, I'm seeing something truly impressive kind of unfold. And what I really loved also was that because the writers, I think, you know, a lot of the writing you do, you hope you have actors who give it life right you hope that they say the thing that you're hoping to showcase in the writing Mm -hmm. and i think they really lucked out with sybil and bruce and of course let's not forget sybil was the biggest star at this point i always find that really fascinating um yeah and that you know moonlighting was as you mentioned a little bit earlier moonlighting was about this kind of modern take on on those um old hollywood sensibilities but there were still these elements of old hollywood where you would have um the two people arguing and then you know she would slap him and then they start kissing and and whatever whatever and so there's still a part of that in moonlighting yes yes in a big way but again these ideas kind of lingered i anyway i really like the fact that you know maddie was supposed to be this woman of the world she traveled everywhere she'd done everything she was so chic um and he was kind of like more rough and tumble and he was kind of like you know he learned on the streets he went to the university of hard knocks and life and all that jazz (laughs) One of the great things that I really, really enjoyed about the show is that once it recognized that these two had such undeniable chemistry, it basically allowed the format of the show to really throw them together a lot more than I think many other genres would allow. So they were often undercover or they were on car chases or they were, you know, like enough, enough situations that kind of threw them 
together hmm. so that you could actually see that stuff in motion and i did love the undercover episodes the most i think because it always felt like oh they're playing dress up and maybe something will slip right like <laughs> the whole idea of it was like oh maybe the mask will fall aside just a little bit and they can see beneath it and then they'll realize that these feelings are real and true and all that jazz but of course it never slipped until season three yes let's get into it i'm uh, okay such a good moment <laughs> you're so ready <laughs> Okay, so season three for me is the pinnacle. It's the thing that, like Nicole said before, it's this is the thing that started a very specific kind of relationship on TV. Throughout the series, they had been this powerful will they, won't they element to Maddie and David's relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And then finally, and I can't stress enough how much I'm stretching out the word finally, <laughs> it became something so the everyone remembers the scene because first of all everything about it is wildly over the top so maddie arrives home um she does like this impassioned quiet monologue to who she assumes is her boyfriend um who has recently asked her to marry him so he you know there's a figure in the bed she stands in the doorway kind of backlit um she delivers this whole thing about, you know, I'm still, you know, thank you so much. It's the best question ever, anyone's ever asked me. Don't think I haven't thought about it, but maybe, you know, I don't think I'm ready. This, that, and the other. She's kind of basically letting him down, you know, easy. Mm -hmm. And all the while the body in the bed, you know, she's kind of like, stop, don't, don't, don't move. No, don't say anything. <laughs> so she carries on with her whole spiel. She delivers this amazing, amazing speech. And then she gets, she kind of strips off and she gets into bed. And she realizes when she gets in there um, that it's it's David. <laughs> she kind of like, <laughs> and then she kind of is like, what? You know, kind of rolls over strategic sheet placing right above the boobs. Right. Because it was the 80s and this, there was, it was, this wasn't premium cable. There were no tits. And she kind of is holding it to her chest and they have this discussion where he's kind of like, you know, the thing that you're saying and this that, and the other there's like a little back and forth he kind of smirks his way through it he gives her the note that her expo left for her and all the stuff he intimates that he's read it he's being super dickish in that really hot way <laughs> that only hot people can get away with let's be very fucking real mm -hmm. um and then we have this amazing series of scenes what about just now what about just now i thought that was him i didn't know it was you Maddie, you said some things that and I you think... you didn't. Nothing. Not doing the whole thing, David. You haven't said a word. I don't have to say anything. What do you mean you don't have to say anything? Stop smiling. Why are you smiling? How can you be so smug? I'm not being smug. I'm being honest. I don't have to say anything. You know it, and I know it. You feel it, and I feel it. Stay away from me. Here I come. But I don't want you. I never wanted you. Yeah, right. I heard the speech about the goodbye grope. But that was for him, not for you. Wake up. I'm not leaving him for you. I'm leaving him for me. Me. Me, 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 me. Is that clear? Why don't you try and see flat? Get back. Put that down, Maddie. No. Put it down. No. I'm not going to force myself on you. I don't want to force myself on you. To tell you the truth, you're not worth it. What? You heard me. What do you mean, not worth not it? Not worth it, not worth it. No woman is worth this, all right? 
Look, never mind. I just forget about it. This was never meant to be. Okay, woof. All right. So <laughs> that was. Uh, first, he's such an asshole. You know? Yes. He's, you know, she's like, I'm leaving my fiance or boyfriend or whatever for me, 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 me. He's like, trying to see flat. I Why? mean, I was- it's ridiculous, <laughs> but also it's so hot. I'm so sorry. I, I hate myself. I just. I'm so drawn to him when he says that. It's just like, what? Because he says it while he's advancing. And you're like, what are you going to do, David? Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so basic. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but that's the thing. Like, these things like that are there because they, you know, they're for that primal part of us. You know, that very, like, primitive thing that's just kind of, you know, we want someone who is confident and yes. uh, you know, firm in his desire for you. Wow, bitch, you're using all the words. Yes, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Wow, this social distancing has really done something to me, huh? Wow. <laughs> and so then, you know, she's like, I guess she's, you know, trying to make sure that he's not going to do anything bad. She's like, I'm not going to force you, you know. And he's like a little offended and hurt by the idea yes. that she would even think that, you know. So of course, he lashes out. You know, wounded animal lashes out and Classic is like, right, you're not worth it. So then, of course, and you could tell like this was like written by a man or like there's like strong, oh, you God, know, because she's like, what do you mean I'm not worth it? Like, I'm not worth being raped. What? Right. <laughs> like, like, it's so on. problematic. It is. <laughs> it is offensive. <laughs> it was offensive then. It is offensive now. It'll be offensive forevermore. Oh, man, it was just I mean, but this whole thing leading up to like that, you know, it's like, it's so good. Um, But then they keep going. They have this like, you know, more tension between them. And then we finally get to the moment. How would you believe in? What do you believe in? A good party. I'll tell you what I don't believe in. I don't believe in wasting any more time. I'm sick of this. Two years of is you is or is you ain't. Two, Two years. years of bees being in duck stucking in a man who thinks the culture is dark beer. I'm, this is ridiculous. I'm miserable. So am I. Yeah, well, I may have just let the best thing that ever happened to me get away. And look at me. Here I am spending the evening having another pointless argument with you. Fine. Fine. Good. Good. Bitch. Bastard. Get out. Get out. I'm sorry. Every time the music comes in, I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> it is almost cringeworthy, except it fucking works. Yes. That's what makes it I, so bad because it's like, you know, it it's cheesy, but it's Ugh. working. You know what? Sometimes you just want to gorge on like a wheel of cheese. And that scene gives you like, I hope you've taken your lactate pills because you're going to need them. And yet I put my whole face in the cheese. I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to eat. Like it is so cheesy. And yet I love it. So I love, first of all, it's a couple of things. And Mm -hmm. here's a phrase that I use all the time. Is you is or is you ain't. It's such a solid phrase. Yes. And he delivers it so well. Two years of is you is or is you ain't. And I'm just like, oh, my God, is you? Yes. So that's a stellar line. I love the way the slap. Two slaps. Two slaps. And she slapped him hard as shit. Let me- <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry. Like, it was like, that was not a, um, you know, like a little fake little pat kind of smack. Nope. It, it wasn't a smack. Like, you heard the bass in it yeah. from, like, the hollow of her hand against the hollow of yes. his cheek. 
she hit him hard two times. <laughs> yes. I was like, Maddie, did you bring some tension to set this day? Because, wow. Like, she full on hits him. And his face kind of turns away. But he looks back at her. Yes. As if he's daring her to do it again. Now, of course, violence is abhorrent. And Terrible. All of that stuff. This is all contextual. So let's be very clear on that. Mm-hmm. But there's something about the way when she goes for a third hit, he's just kind of like, you know what? I don't need to take this shit. <laughs> And he just holds her hand. And again, it's interesting because even though she's hitting with the full force of her arm, mm-hmm. when he takes her hand, mm-hmm. it's notably gentle. Yes. And he just kind of wraps his hand around her wrist and holds her hand in midair for a little moment. And then, of course, they begin to move into one another. Yes. And she still has her bed sheet wrapped around her. So she's arguing with him basically naked under the sheet this whole listen, time. Listen. Okay, the classics are a classic for a reason, fam. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that came from, you know, this fear of the moonlighting curse is, you know, these TV shows that stretched out the will they, won't they for seven, 10, 11 seasons. <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. So you have, you know, my beloved Frasier, where it mm. took like eight, seven, eight seasons before Niles and Daphne got together. Then oh you God. have uh, a show like Castle that was on ABC uh, oh more God, recently, yeah. where, you know, they stretched all of that out. But there's also good examples where people are like, no, it's okay if, the, if this, you know, is you or is you ain't to quote David a couple gets together and things you know aren't so bad necessarily um right. and I and, you know I want to talk about one example of that that's you know it's got a little asterisk to it but the good wife Oof. okay all right let me settle in now go on Nicole. <sighs> go off the good wife was such good television okay Ooh. so it starred Juliana Margulies as Alicia Florek, the wife of uh, Peter Florek, who was this uh, state (laughs) attorney who was disgraced. Right. And this was at the time when we had all these politicians, all these male politicians who, you know, were getting caught cheating or committing fraud. And so they'd be at these podiums and their wives would be standing next to them looking very meek and, you know, supportive and all this kind of stuff. And so the Kings who are a husband and wife team created the good wife, um, in response to that, to focus on the wife, like what is the wife thinking when she's sitting there, when she's standing there next to this man who has embarrassed her, who has put the family through, you know, this t- embarrassing situation. So Alicia Florick is the good wife in this, you know, in this uh, situation. She was a stay at home mom. She has two teenage um, children. And once her husband goes to jail, she has to earn you know, some income. She has to figure out a way to make sure that they can survive. So she calls up her old uh, law school buddy, Will Gardner, that's played by Josh Charles, who has his own law firm. And he, because he has a crush on her from those law school days, brings her on board. She has never tried a case. <laughs> she, has, she has not done anything because she left law school and immediately got married and started having children. But... This is his law firm. He can do whatever the fuck he wants. And he brings her (laughs) on board. 
And everybody in their mama sees that Will still has a thing for Alicia. Like, it's just, there are all these different moments between them. And, you know, Peter's in jail. Her husband's in jail. Why does she not want to, uh, what's wrong with her getting a little little piece, little action on the side? But He's talking like he's pie. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, Alicia, as the title of the show suggests, is good. She is, uh more morally uh, sound than Will is. She is very much, she tries to be as ethical and as moral as possible. So in order to tempt her, it has to be serious, right? It has to be someone that she knows, you know, has feelings for her and is not going to take advantage of her situation. So, I mean, we've got like seasons, you know, this show lasted seven seasons. And so for the first part of the series, we have all this tension between Alicia and Will. Like, this is not some little office crush. It's not some kind of like convenient, you know, she's there, I guess. This is like he's been carrying this torch for her for so, so long. And the thing I love about it is that Alicia, I think we were told or it's intimated that she was kind of top of her class. Like she wasn't some slouch. She wasn't some girl who was only going to college to like up her bride price. You know what I mean? Like she went mm-hmm. there to be a lawyer and happened to fall in love with Mr. Smarmy, aka Peter Florick. But she was like a big brain. And I just love the fact that Will was like, yeah, that's the girl for me. That's the woman I want. The one who's at the top of the class. The one who is going places. The one who is, you know, literally our valedictorian. The person who is like the person. And then marriage kind of steals her away. So shout out to the metaphor inherent in there. of Just kind of like how men will ruin your life. Um, But also what I love about it is that she just, he picks up exactly where he was however many years ago when they were at law school he's kind of like yeah alicia the brain the smart the in, the crazily intelligent the incredibly impressive alicia of course i still love her of course i still want her yes that's exactly it and so we talked about moonlighting how they you know by the end of season three they moved on and the, you know they kind of consummated all of that tension and the good wife We've got the tension throughout season one, season two. And then at the season finale of season two, we have this moment that gives us, gives us shippers everything that we needed. <laughs> God. <laughs> you have a good laugh. <sighs> and Tammy? What about Tammy? How's Tammy? My girlfriend? I think she's in London. She called me yesterday after the closing arguments and her bags were packed. I was supposed to rush over to see her and convince her to stay. And? I got the call about the glove. We've always had bad timing, haven't we? We have. What if we were to suddenly have good timing? Just for an hour? What would that look like? I think that would look like an exceptional moment. Ma'am. Hi. Hi. We need a room for the night. 
worries, sir. We're completely booked. There's nothing? Well, the presidential suite, but that's 7800 a night. And the name of your personal butler is Jerome. Thanks. Have a good night. <sighs> Bitch. <laughs> Bitch. <laughs> oh my God. 7800 a night. Sure thing. Why not? Put it on the card. Are you mad, fam? Oh, what? Oh my God. For one hour. I remember watching that scene and thinking to myself, 7800 Cheap at the price, fam. Cheap at the price. <laughs> my god that scene is so hot that scene it is so like he's looking and you know the 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 receptionist is all pleasant face like i'm so sorry sir there is nothing like and he's just thinking to himself like you are not gonna block this tonight (laughs) like i don't care what the universe is saying i'm getting it like we're all we're doing this like it's been let's not forget as you pointed out this is the season finale of season two we are talking 46 episodes later (laughs) We deserved that smash. We deserved it. <laughs> now, we have talked about two different shows where the will they won't they couple get together and it's amazing and it's magical and it's fantastic. But there is one example of a will they won't they couple um done wrong shall we say <laughs> so wrong <sighs> so wrong that it's still upsetting me and my homegirls um <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just i can't believe it and that show is sleepy hollow oh my god where to begin Ugh. Tom Meissen stars as Ichabod Crane, who we find out was this double agent in the Revolutionary War, but he has been put on ice for all this time for like over 150 years, 200 years, whatever it is at this point. And, you know, it's <laughs> brought back to life in 2013 when the show airs. Um, and so he gets connected with this police officer uh, named Abby Mills, as played by Nicole Bahari. And immediately as the two are put together, you know, she's questioning him, like, who are you? Where are you from? Why are you, you know, what, why are you dressed like that? The tension, the chemistry between them is electric. I mean, I have never seen chemistry so palatable. Like it was just off the charts between them. And I know, you know, part of it is Nicole Bahari. I feel like she can have chemistry with a rock, you know, like she is just, (laughs) yes, yes, (laughs) you know, but Tom Meissen also was given as good as he got. Like, it was just, it was great. And so the show was, uh, you know, all these uh, supernatural monsters of the week that came up as they tried to figure out how to stop um, the apocalypse, this biblical apocalypse that was coming or whatever. And throughout the seasons, there were these moments um, where the two of them were clearly, you know, they realized that they were destined to be together, that this whole thing had been written out before them, that they were, um, you know, living this prophecy. And right. it could have been so good if they had just let them kiss, if the showrunners, the show creators had let them kiss. But they did not. And it left everybody so frustrated with this show. Whew. Now, I have a lot of opinions 
about this shit. <laughs> uh, too many opinions, you might could say. But I feel like I'm slowly coming to terms with the fact that I will never not be angry about this. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I just, every time I think about what was squandered, what was thrown away, what was possible. And the showrunners looked at all of that and said, nah, not for us. I mean, they even had motherfucking John Cho on the show Oof. as That's a... That's his full name, by the way. <laughs> motherfucking John Cho. <laughs> really and truly. He played a police officer who was so enamored with Abby Mills that he sold his soul to the devil to protect her. Okay? Like, how bomb is that? <laughs> and like, then they just kind of let him, like, disappear. They didn't even, like, treat him right. So, right. I don't know. The whole show is very frustrating. Anyway, so... Ichabod also he was like married in his former life and to this woman named Katrina who we find out is a witch and she would pop Katrina. up. Yeah, if she, I see her on road, it's on sight. On sight, <laughs> everybody <laughs> like the live tweeting of almost every episode. People would be like, "Kill Katrina and let Abby <laughs> and Ichabod get together," because Ichabod Just would not. Yeah, like once he realized that Katrina was still alive. Obviously, we're talking about some. We're giving away major spoilers here, but once he saw that Katrina was also still alive, he refused to like, you know, dishonor his marriage. He was a very honorable person, and he did not want to do anything that could. <sighs> you know, uh, dishonor that. And it was just, it was very frustrating. And he rarely, he never, ever recalled her by her name, except for this one moment where he's trying to figure out, you know, they've met this monster who is tied to Ichabod and Ichabod realizes that the only way to get rid of this particular monster is to sacrifice himself. And Abby is like, no, not on my watch. I'd only free him to continue his rampage. This assures that he won't. I do not accept that, Crane. You must. If you accept what we've been chosen to do, to avert the apocalypse so humanity can endure, so people can choose their own destinies, just as I must now choose mine. There's another way. There's always another way. Abby, this is the only way. It's the first time you ever called me Abby. I've lived on borrowed time. More than any man deserves. I've seen wonders beyond my wildest imaginings. And through these centuries, against the impossibility that we would find each other, Okay, so that is the first time that he calls her Abby. And when I tell you the whole, like, Ick Abby shippers, everybody went insane at that moment. Like, (laughs) you know, everyone was, like, live tweeting it. And, you know, he said, Abby, it was so, it was so good. It was so rich. Yes. And it reminded me, uh, just hearing that reminded me of a tweet. Um, I can't remember when it was posted or by whom, and I apologize, but... 
it was somebody basically detailing the exact feeling of that scene. And it was something like, you know, when character A um, calls character B by their first name uh, and it's a time of great stress or uh, adversity or like really intimate. And they do that in place of where they would normally use their last name or their title or their rank. And then there was a reaction gif of somebody just weeping uncontrollably. And that is very much how I felt with that soft Abby that he uttered like oh my god this things are getting real this is real like this is the point this is the point at which things are getting like this is this is where the rubber meets the road right like yeah someone is gonna die like i'm going the road of self-sacrifice and it, it means that much so why not call you abby why not call you by your first name which i probably have longed to do for a very long time yes oh kills me kills me it kills me and then you know at, you know, they go on and they have these moments where um, you know, uh, an old flame of Abby's pops up and Ichabod is very jealous, you know, and it keeps insulting the guy. Then there, uh, you know, she had, some, she had a lot of kind of old flames that popped up. She had a lot of like people with crushes on her. You know, we never saw her in a relationship necessarily, but obviously we saw Ichabod in several relationships. And it was very frustrating not to see the two of them be able to have this, you know, moment together um at some point they do karaoke together where they're singing together and it's like what no kiss why can't you just no kiss kiss. (laughs) you want to smush their faces together like your dolls like come on kiss so and i remember seeing a lot of people on tumblr saying things like uh not every relationship between uh, a straight man and straight woman has to involve kissing and i was like no you're right not everyone but this one does like it's quite clear to me that this one should involve kissing. It's quite clear to everybody. Absolutely. Everybody saw that they should have uh, more than a friendship happening. Right. Right. And there is so much value in the friendship and the bond that ties them together. And none of that would have been underplayed by the fact that they also kissed. Like, I just don't understand the logic behind it. It was clear as the nose on my face. And it wasn't just clear to us, like, you know, thirsty shippers at home. Like, even the showrunners, I think, were aware of it, but perhaps had written themselves into a corner in some weird way that they couldn't get out of. But it was acknowledged because there was um, a crossover episode uh, Mm -hmm. between Sleepy Hollow, uh, which at the time was broadcast on Fox, and uh, Bones, which also was a Fox product. And there was a murder that brought Abby and Ichabod to D.C. to discuss a case with Bones and uh, Booth. And there is a fantastic scene that kind of just really felt like a massive, massive troll. And impressive. We are a partnership of opposites, yet our affinity for one another bears the ripest of fruit. Oh, I was unaware that you and your colleague were sexual partners. I can assure you we are not. Then I would suggest you consider it. I have found taking my professional life with Booth into the personal realm has been quite rewarding. (laughs) That little giggle gasp at the end (laughs) when Bones is like, it's quite rewarding. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) She was recalling some times um, and she was wishing it upon them. She was like, guys, you could have what we have. (laughs) Like, I am constantly fulfilled. No pun intended. Like, I'm doing my job and I'm going home and I'm doing my other job. It's great. (laughs) And it just like it just really showcased yet again. Like, he looks so affronted. And I just thought, no, take that look off your face. 
You all deserve this. Like, come on in there. You know it makes sense, Ichabod. You're a logical person. Make it work. So I told you I've been rewatching Bones um, during this enforced social distancing. And first of all, um, I forget often that the first exposure that I had to David Boreanaz was on Buffy when he played Angel. And I was kind of uh, half in love with him, mm. half uh, annoyed by him because mm-hmm. he was like this intense, moody vampire. And I'm like, be like Spike. Just get it in, fam. Like, you don't have to be carrying. I've got no soul, blah, blah, blah. Angela's. I was like, oh, my God. So I wasn't already. I was like, fuck this. But um, so at the beginning of the series, you know, it's very clear that they're supposed to be chalk and cheese. They are supposed to be like complete opposites and they kind of clash often. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really a case of like trying to s- teach one another how the other works so that they can have a smoother relationship. But that's difficult, right? And right. part of the early seasons is them understanding each other's face. You know, that bit in Dirty Dancing where he's kind of like johnny's kind of like this is my dance space that is your dance space yes it's kind of that writ large over the course of several episodes but at the same time they are so well aware of the bubbling cauldron of tension between them mm-hmm. and so is everybody else that they work with everyone's kind of like oh my god just do it already like come <laughs> on you know what i mean but yes. they are so fundamentally different like she doesn't believe in like god or organized religion she is um she's like spock she's like logic personified yeah he's like this emotional catholic who believes in god and church and is like weirdly obsessed <laughs> with the fucking fbi <sighs> in all of that is at the core of it the nucleus of the whole thing is this burning burning tension where you're looking at the two of them and you're like man if it wasn't for the fact that there were all these bones in the on the table between you you would be doing it (laughs) on that very table like it's so clear i loved i loved also just how open it was like we're not going to try and hide this because we're going to do our jobs we're going to do it well we're going to catch murderers yes but like we also are going to acknowledge the fact that we clearly want to rip each other's clothes off and that's okay because we're all professional adults. <laughs> yes. And I love the fact that even though um, Bones was this very logical, non-emotional person that the show still acknowledged that she was a passionate person, a sexual person. So she would have, yes. you know, these relationships with people and just, and she was very confident in her sexuality. She was like, Oh yeah, I'm a good lover. And she just, yes. she stated it like fact because that's how she saw it, you know? And, yeah. and you know, he was very old fashioned about some things. So he didn't like to talk about sex openly and stuff like that, even though he was also clearly a, a very passionate person and a person who liked having uh, relations. <laughs> he just didn't think relations <laughs> all right deaconess nicole i love it <laughs> you know he didn't think that it was something that needed to be talked about in the open whereas brennan was just like no nah, everybody has sex or everybody has some sort of relationship with sex and so we need to talk about it because she was um this anthropologist right so she was just very much aware of how sex and relationships play out in different cultures. And she's just like, there's no shame involved in this. Um, So it was really interesting to see, you know, this kind of oil and water mix. And then you find out it's actually like oil and vinegar, which makes a perfect dressing. So 
Wow. Wow. What an analogy. Oh, my <laughs> God. They are addressing. They are exactly addressing. I want to draw your attention to a scene in the second season. So this is like at the beginning of the second season. And they solve the case and they are having like, you know, a little meal, celebrate their, mm-hmm. you know, they solve the case and they're enjoying each other's company post case solving. And this scene is just, again, like you said, he's a little bit more coy, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't feel things. And she is, of course, direct, but it doesn't mean that she also doesn't want to be wooed a little. Mm. Play the fiddle. You know, Bones, I like to think that um, someplace deep inside, people really know what's important. It's hard to believe when you see women trying to disguise or change themselves. I never understood that. Well, I mean, no, of course you wouldn't. Why? It's just, you know, someone who looks like you... What well, wouldn't? Just because of the way you look. I don't understand what way do I look. Well, you know, you, you're structured very well. As are you. Listen. <laughs> she said, you're structured very well. She said, as are you. Mm. I always love that about Brennan. She was like, let's be very... And every time somebody would compliment, like, Booth on his butt or his arms or his whatever, she was like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. I always loved that. She was so proud that he was her man. Like, yeah, I know I bagged it. And he's lucky to have me too. I love that. I loved that so much. I love it. She would always, you know, when she would talk about Booth, and again, she was very like clinical. Oh, well, of course, he's got these, you know, and then she would live, you know, say some jargon or something about his mandibles. I don't know, whatever it was that yeah. she would say. <laughs> but it was just, I just loved how matter of fact that she was with everything. Like, of course, he looks good. He's got this going on. You know, he would make a good father, you know, that kind of yes. stuff. Ugh. Yes. And she said it, like you said, so clinically that you were like, wait, what are you thirsting right now? And she says <laughs> exactly like that. Well, you know, the shape of his mandible suggests he would be very good at eating redacted and also his deltoids mean blah 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 and i'm like uh brennan yes and you know bones is the only show of the ones that we've talked about today that had um someone that was you know stereotypically fit who had like like i mentioned like that superhero comic book superhero body everyone else was very much a regular degular person you know physically you know there was no like oh this person is especially beautiful or especially, you know, just, you know, gym rats, again, other than Booth's character or Booth himself. Um, So it was really nice to see throughout these different shows that everybody is allowed sexual chemistry. Everybody is allowed to be lustful and to have these moments of tension. And it's very beautiful and sweet and hot and romantic. And it's for everybody. Yep. I think that's an excellent place to wrap up. Thirst is for everyone. UST is for everyone. And the minute this lockdown is over, you go out there and you resolve some tension out there. All right. Ooh, that's my plan. <laughs> oh, <Shit>. my God. <laughs> All right, Bim, we have talked about UST, unresolved sexual tension that ends up getting yep. resolved a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes, sometimes, but Some, not always. Right. Um, but now it's time for us to 
move on to fanfic wars. Yep. Um, I feel like this week I did a lot of ruminating. Mm. Um, and we said this before in our main conversation where I kind of was talking about foundational thirsts and the things that really kind of helped set up the template for all my thirsts to come. Mm -hmm. And there was only one obvious person for me to write my fic about today. (laughs) Um, But I'm very excited to hear yours. Um, And I feel like this is going to be a peeling back of some layers (laughs) for both of us and for the listeners as well. (laughs) Well, you know, mine is very, um, you know, I would not say it's my best work, um it's you know modest of you (laughs) you know it is what it is but don't you know don't anybody be out there holding their breath to you know wow (laughs) way to set up the expectations there good work (laughs) i just want people you know i don't want people to expect too much from me exactly right now (laughs) well i can i can go ahead and and read my drabble and then uh because i think uh, yours will be the shining star That's, today. You know what? You always say that and then you decimate me. You devastate me. And you kind of go, anyway, that's just something I pulled out of my ass. No worries. And I'm just like, you know what? Screw you, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> but if you want to go first, far be it from me to stop you. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. And this is um, this is going to be about Will Gardner. <clears throat> okay. Already I'm sweating. Wow. <laughs> Will leaned back against the armrest of the couch, barefoot, in jeans and a loose t-shirt. He looked both comfy and ready to leave should the need arise. He was noodling around on his guitar, playing some bluesy notes while looking up at the ceiling. I stood against the kitchen doorway and watched him. Play me something, I called out, wiping my hands on a towel. He raised his head to look at me and smiled, the cobwebs in his eyes disappearing. He sat up more fully and began to play something I didn't recognize, his voice adding lyrics of a devil woman done him wrong. He didn't have the strongest voice, but his love for blues was apparent. I came closer and sat on the floor, watching his fingers, watching his eyes close as he begged the woman to come home. He stopped singing and looked at me. You're not going to give me any reason to sing the blues, are you? He asked, love and uncertainty making his eyes shine. I moved closer and put a hand on his cheek. Never, I whispered. Sign your name with a kiss, he smiled at me. And I leaned in to make a deal with the devil of my heart. You had this motherfucker playing guitar? Yes. (laughs) Well, go on then. (laughs) I've got nothing else to add. I'm like, all right, do what you must, Nicole Perkins. (sighs) Do what you must. Ah, first of all, excellent choice by going for Will Gardner. Thank you, thank you. Because yeah, just Charles, um, he has presence, you know, as our as our foremothers might say, he's got some presence. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Auntie, I think I think I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, there was this one moment in the show where he we see him at home and he's playing a guitar, and so that that yes. stayed with me ever since I saw it. Um, and I would like to see more of will gardner at home um <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> i'm sorry I 
start laughing and then you yourself can't you can't stop it and it just bubbles out of you that was a classic where you were like i'm just gonna do a naughty chuckle and you're like wait i got caught up in my feelings yes very much so all right, uh, yeah. Well, Gardner playing a guitar. Love a bit of that. Yeah. Love it. Well, Taking um, his downtime. <laughs> I'm ready to hear your drabble and to uh, learn more about that foundational thirst for you. Thank you so much. Uh, what an introduction, uh, Miss Perkins. Thank you. Um, <laughs> of course, I had to write about the one and only David Addison, um, <laughs> the man for whom uh, there will be no equal. He really has and truly has ruined me. Um, <laughs> did that shit too early in life for me to kind of pull out now. Anyway, um, okay, so this is uh, my drabble. I hope you enjoy it. I saw David smirking from across the room, even as he dipped his head. I could still spot that bottom lip twisting, as though to keep a full-bellied laugh at bay. I frowned and began walking over to him slowly, taking my time. To annoy him, sure, but also to give myself the time to adjust, to prepare. Being near David made me feel tingly, like my skin was too small for my body, a little bit sweaty and breathless, in the best way. Plus, he wasn't immune, despite his seemingly permacool facade. I had eyes. I'd seen him look. By the time I got to him, he'd composed his features into something more controlled, I suppose you think this is funny, I said to him, gesturing at my clothes. I was wearing a silk tunic and the only three-inch heels I owned. By contrast, David was in his beat-up jeans, scuffed boots, and one of those snug t-shirts of his. More like everyone else in this bar, in other words. In the three years we'd been working side by side, he knew how seriously I took dress code advice. And so when I got his text to dress, quote, fancy for this interview we'd be doing, I'd taken him at his word. Now I stuck out like a sore thumb. He took a deep pull from his bottled beer as he gave me a quick but somehow thorough elevator look. Relax. I wouldn't say you look funny, he said. I'd say you look like a rose among thorns. His cheeks flushed a little, as if he hadn't meant to say all of that. We'd been dancing around this thing between us for a while, but for a moment, it seemed like we might be done dancing. And so I peered at him, saying nothing meeting his gaze as boldly as he had sought mine and seeking permission for what I was about to do. And when the silence stretched a little too long, I came in closer, no more than a half step, and angled my face so I could speak directly into his ear. When I heard his sharp intake of breath, I felt giddy with power. Well, maybe everything's finally coming up roses for you, Addison, I whispered. Damn. <laughs> Okay, I am, um, you know, I'm nasty, so... (laughs) What? (laughs) Shocker. (laughs) Never would have believed that. So the idea, you know, of you leaning, say, everything's coming up roses, I automatically think of, you know, like... uh, Oh my God, Nicole Perkins. (laughs) Why? That was not what I intended with that. Jeez. I was doing some elegant wordplay, but no. Wow. Well, you know, a double entendre is elegant wordplay. You know what? You're right. I'm sorry about that. You're completely right. And perhaps subconsciously, I was trying something. Who can say? Except my therapist. Um, (laughs) I was trying to do a fade to black. I hope that was successful. Yes. Um, 
I am truly uh, applauding both of our efforts this week. As we said at the beginning of the show, it has been something of a struggle to feel thirsty in an authentic manner, but mm-hmm. we have managed it because we are that committed to the cause. Yes, we are professionals and, you know, just talking about it, though. Like, once you start talking, it it all comes back. So <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, you wonderful listeners at home can vote. You can pick your favorite Drabble of those two. And I know we keep saying Drabbles when they are clearly longer than that, but that's our privilege as hosts of this show. Um, we'll put on a poll on our Twitter, which is at Thirst Aid Kit, and you get to vote for your favorite. And the results mean nothing because ultimately we are all here to have fun and to learn and to thirst. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like we really accomplished that this week, Nicole. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I would agree. This has been, um, it's actually been really fun. You know, it lifted my spirits and I hope it lifted the spirits of our listeners out there. Um, this was a really good, I think this was a really good episode. I'm inclined to agree. So, wow. Shout out to us. <laughs> um, <laughs> First Aid Kit is a Slate production produced by Sher Vincent and us, Bim Adewunmi and Nicole Perkins. Our music is by Tanya Morgan. You can follow the show on Twitter at ThirstAidKit and we're on Tumblr at thirstaidkitpodcast.tumblr.com. Thank you to all the Thirst Buckets on Twitter who have been cheering us up every single day and especially since we all began social distancing and working from home. You can join them anytime and especially to live tweet the show every Thursday. Just use the hashtag TACPOD, that's T-A-K-P-O-D, or you could write us an email with all your feelings at thirstaidkit at slate.com. If you want to use our Thirst Sommelier service, just send us a short, no longer than a minute, please, message. The number is 510-984-4778. That's 510-9-THIRST. Non-US Thirst Buckets can send us a short voice note via email to thirstaidkit at slate.com. You can find all of our episodes and links to listen at slate.com slash podcasts. And if you find yourself wishing you could get even more Thirst Aid Kit, well, now you can. All you have to do is become a Slate Plus member. Slate Plus is Slate's membership program, and for just $35 for the first year, you'll get a little extra from this show, as well as all other Slate shows. Plus, there are absolutely no ads. Visit slate.com slash thirstaidplus to sign up. And we'll be back next week with new and zesty thirst content. But in the meantime, remember, drink your cranberry juice, wash your hands, and keep practicing your social distancing. Bye. One of the things is that Ichabod always referred to Abby, who was a lieutenant in our language, but he referred to her, he referred to her as lieutenant, which Excuse was his our language. We always say lieutenant also. So oh, let's, not, let's, not, let's, let's not discriminate against the Brit in the room. All right. <laughs> Blimey. She said our language or confident. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, fine. <laughs>